So, again, I'm the directional pastor at 21st Century Church and the co-founder. My wife is the other co-founder and elder at 21st Century Church. She's a teaching pastor. And Cadence is the third co-founder of 21st Century Church. And we have a group of incredible people in Cincinnati who helped us found that church. We are a family church, and we couldn't do it without the whole entire team. We're a young church plant. We're only about like eight weeks gathering publicly. Yeah, exactly. We're babies, like still like, eh. Uh, Maybe not quite that. Um, But we've been building community for 15 months. The stuff I'm going to teach to you today, stuff that I've learned over probably three years of personal experience, probably about seven years of seeing this, but I couldn't put my finger and I didn't have language to put to what I was seeing. So altogether, this is about 10 years of experience that you're getting. It's a book that we're writing to help churches. I believe the things I'm sharing to you today are responsible for church splants, not a split, but like a split slash plant, like he... Come on, like, like, come on, let's be real, right? right? It's responsible for church splants. It's responsible for young ministers quitting the ministry, getting hurt and get burnt and leaving. The stuff I'm going to teach you is going to fix that. It's responsible for old leaders who haven't dealt with their insecurities and their traumas that they've experienced from previous congregations, and they brought it into the new spaces. I believe that this is a season where God is changing not just how we plant, not just churches. He's changing entire systems. Prophetically, COVID just might have been a big reset button. Several years ago, we have leaders like um, Billy Graham, prophets like Dr. Martin Luther King. God had put apostolic teams together. They just didn't recognize who they were. Every generation. And so I believe that God has given us a mandate. Deuteronomy 28 talks about this. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, Israel, after they have been um, circling around, I think it's like a second generation, after they've been circling around the mountain, and, uh, and God calls them before they enter into the promised land, and he tells them this, I have called you to be high above the nations. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus, says, I have called you to make disciples of all nations, ethnos. The disciples thought Jesus was getting ready to return the kingdom of Israel. The whole thing that our Lord is concerned with is discipling nations. And to disciple nations, if that's the job description, you need a whole different set of tools. Are we together? You need a whole different set of equipment. You need a whole different, you know, if I'm playing with a a Tonka toy versus a real bulldozer, that's a difference. There's another expression that comes when it says um, uh, form follows function. You ever heard of that? A firefighter's suit is extremely large. It is extremely padded. I would look ridiculous if I walked in here with the firefighter suit. Are we together? But for the function of that suit has to be that large it has to be that tough it has to be that the function of the ecclesia is to disciple entire nations and for that function to happen the lord himself has assigned excuse me for that yeah for that function to happen the lord himself has assigned to us a form to accomplish his task. Mm-hmm. 
And what I'm teaching is nothing new, but I believe we must reimagine the form that is needed to disciple nations. Judea, Judea uh, Samaria, to the inner parts of the world. So what I'm teaching you, once again, this is not a quick fix. Actually, everything I'm getting ready to teach you, you, you most likely, I'm 100% sure, don't try to apply it to your church. You can't. It'll blow it up. It's a completely different form. And what I'm asking you in this session is to consider, consider prayerfully to pray over the notes, seek the Lord over it, and prayerfully, if you're the senior pastor, prayerfully consider, what do I do with this, Lord? If you're working on a staff, prayerfully consider, Lord, should I introduce this to my senior pastor? Do not try to just implement this stuff in your senior pastor's church. Walk with your senior leaders before you do it. Are we together? Okay, so I'm going to make some definitions here. So if you want to write this down, the first one is this. What is an apostolic team? What is an apostolic team? I might speak a little quickly because I want to leave room for questions after what is an apostolic team. And then after I talk about what is apostolic team, I'm going to give you the principles. So this comes from Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. An apostolic team is a group of men and women called together by God to advance the kingdom of God to advance the kingdom of God and it's intentional the kingdom of God and prepare the way of the king prepare is important here's the reason why prepare is important when John the Baptist saw Jesus he decreased his ministry are we together Apex teams know they're not building their own fiefdoms. So when they see somebody with the spirit of the king, someone with the anointing of Jesus, they easily submit to it. They easily say, let's let's work together. Let's do this together. But when you're about building your own kingdom and your own fiefdom, that spirit isn't in you. So it's very important when I say preparing the way of the king, that's their number one vision. The spirit and the bride say, come yeah because we're preparing the way by okay so a group of men and women called together by God to advance the kingdom of God and prepare the way of the king that statement kingdom of God is so important there because that is a fundamental misunderstanding in the 21st century church of the of the theological understanding of what the kingdom of God actually is here's why that's important the kingdom of God is the sine qua non of the gospel. Sine qua non means without which not. For example, if I have a chocolate chip cookie, chocolate chips are the sine qua non of the chocolate chip cookie. If I take the chocolate chip out, I don't have a, I don't have a chocolate chip. You got something, but it ain't a chocolate chip cookie. And the, we have made the cross the sine qua non of Jesus' message. The cross is not the sine qua non of Jesus' message. It's the kingdom of God. If I take the kingdom of God out of his message, you can't understand Jesus. And when we've made the cross the sine qua non, we miss the whole nations. You can't do it. It's fundamentally impossible. Here's the reason why. If I'm playing with a puzzle 
my, my family loves to do this. You know, the picture is on the box of what the puzzle is, right? You pour it out and you set the picture on your coffee table and you're putting the pieces together. Are we together? If that picture, if I have a cross on that picture, I'm building something different. Okay, some, well, cook, you can, get, you can say amen. But if I put the kingdom, I'm building justice. I'm building righteousness. I'm helping orphans. I'm helping widows. I'm helping. I'm doing the whole thing. And so when we said it's a group of men and women called together by God to advance the kingdom of God. Now, remember, do not misunderstand me. The cross is fundamentally important. We cannot preach the kingdom of God without the cross. But there are a group of men and women called together by God to advance the kingdom of God and prepare the way of the king by teaching about the kingdom of God. Making disciples and establishing churches for a societal movement. Nations for a societal movement. So that's how we're defining apostolic teams right now. We don't mean they're writing new doctrine. We don't mean, hey, I'm the boss, everybody bow down to me. No, none of that foolishness. What do they do? A band of men and women called together by the Holy Spirit to carry the family mandate. A band of men and women called together by the Holy Spirit to carry the family mandate. For that first definition, your scripture reference is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8 through 14. For that first um, what is, it's 1 Corinthians 3, 8 through 14. What did they do? Your scripture reference is Romans 15, 14 through 22. Paul had a mandate. Can someone tell me what Apostle Paul's mandate was? What did he feel personally he was called to who? Yes. So if you were going to roll with Paul, your whole ministry is what? Preaching to the Gentiles. So that's that apostolic leader's mandate within the kingdom. Jesus is the chief cornerstone who lays the foundation. Paul says anyone who builds on top of it to reach the Gentiles, you better make sure you build it right. So at Bethel, you have those prophetic people. They have a whole vision for what? Worship. So if you go into Bill Johnson's house, you're going to get what? <laughs> and we look at that and we criticize him. Oh, he needs to do this. He needs to do that. You look at Stephen Furtrick. You look at Benny Hen. You look at all these apostolic leaders. We may not call them that. But you best believe they're operating off of a different spirit, different function, right? Are we together? So that's what they do. They build a family mandate. I'm going to, I keep, I'm, you're going to hear this term, societal movement, movement. I'm going to explain that in my next session. I don't have time to do it now. Okay, how do they define success? And this is so important. How do the apostolic teams define success? This is so different. This comes from 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians together. Paul was the apostolic leader that gives us this framework as he's writing this letter to the th church in Thessalonica. So here's the first. They define success this way. Number one, the word of God is planted or renewed among a specific group of people. The word of God is planted or renewed among a specific group of people. One more time. The word of God is planted or renewed among a specific group of people or planted in a new territory. 
territory, prison, um, um, the, the suburbs that, you know, people want to reach, right? You know, or the inner city is finding a new territory or among a new people. That's what that team comes together to do. You notice I said the word of God. I did not begin with the, um, I begin with the word and people and the church will come. Second, how do they define success? The work becomes self-sustaining financially and, you know, leadership. The work becomes self-sustaining. So they're they're following a family mandate. So God gives a leader a mandate. Okay. The third key of success, you replace the leader who carries that mandate. (laughs) I call that leader the first dummy who says yes to God. (laughs) Like the first man or woman who says like, yep, I'm going to move across the country. I'm going to take my whole family and his whole family, his children. They said yes. That was, that's what makes them the, the family mandate. I hop. The guy says, I'm going to go to Kansas City, I believe, and start this 24-hour-a-day prayer thing, right? Here, the third step is they replace themselves with trustworthy sons and daughters. That's the third sign of success. Do you know this is what stops all the movements? Because they take senior pastor as a position and a function, not a pass-through of fatherhood and parenting. They can't give it up. Jesus said, follow me, not your job description, not your, not your thing. So when you're making sons and daughters, at our church, every single position is a pass-through position. We tell everybody, you're going to pass through this. Now, you can stay if you want to and develop if you just like comfortable. But when you're making sons and daughters, and that's your mandate... You don't hold on to position, the spirit of John the Baptist. You release it when you see that next person coming in with no problem because you're trying to disciple a whole nation. It's like, well, I have to I have to disciple this whole city in my family mandate. I have no time to hold on to a position. Literally, if someone within six months doesn't move up, I start worrying. Every six months, someone in our church, you got to move up. And if you don't, we figure out why and we deal with it. You got to move up. You can't stay here for 12 months and not elevate. Deuteronomy, I've called you to be high above the nations. Okay? So they, they replace it with trustworthy sons and daughters. Here's step four. Although he or she replaces himself with his sons and daughters, that leader, that spiritual father who carries that mandate does not go anywhere. They stay put. Right? And they parent from a distance. They parent from a distance. Anyone knows what it's like to lose a mother or a father? Right? So when the father or the mother of the movement steps away and replaces it with sons and daughters, they, they stay there and they parent from a distance now. And those sons and daughters take care of that father of the movement when they're in their old age and they take care of them. Right? And then the fifth one is the most important one, I believe. They define success by they do not break fellowship with people in their movement. They do not break fellowship with people in their family. So, you know, Paul talked about, I grieved over you. I cried. I lamented. I travailed. Like that relationship mattered so much. It wasn't one of those situations where it's like, well, if you don't, I'm the pastor. If you don't want to do it my way, you you know, all that kind of stuff. I talked to several young adult pastors who are just 
who are dying for fathers and mothers in the ministry because of this kind of thing, breaking fellowship. Doesn't work that way. All right. Um, there's some more in ethos, but I'm going to jump to the principles. Like I said, we're writing this book for this. There's like some more of the ethos of it, but I'm going to jump to the principles now. Is that okay? Because I want to leave time for some Q&A. So once you decide like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to do apostolic teams, Ephesians 4, 10, uh, 10 through 16. These fivefold gifts coming together in one house. Um, you need principles for them to work together unless it doesn't work. To have that many powerful leaders in one room, it's, it's just a nightmare if you don't have principles to guide everybody. The thing will blow up really fast, really fast. So I'm going to share a few principles. There's like 11 or 12 of them, but I think for the sake of time, I'm only going to go through, uh, through six. So here's it. Once you get this team together, once the team is together, prophets, apostles, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and I'm going to just go through this once again like what, what the function is. Apostolic leaders, typically they're builders. That's a simple way to say it. They just, they just build. They just have it in them. They couldn't pastor a 20-member church if you want, if they tried to. Like they would be the worst. But you stick them in a church with 10,000, 20,000 people, they'll crush it. They're, they're prophetic people, right? Um, and, and when I say they're builders, I, I would probably say that's their second gift. Their primary function is their fathers and mothers. That's probably their primary functions, a healthy one. Realize this, God has given me something, and I'm just creating sons and daughters to steward this whole thing. So no, you go. No, you go. No, you go. Hey, let's work on that. Okay, now you can go. Prophets, prophetic people, they, they are the ones that literally, they have the heart of God. They can see, they have, I call it foresight. They, they're that person saying, Pastor, well, you know, we need to, I feel this. They're always feeling something. Any prophets in the house, right? They're always feeling something. They're always sensing something. And the teachers, they're like, I don't get it. Like, like what, are you, what are you saying? Like, you want me to just, you know, right? The teachers are some of the most important people that we need because they teach the body of Christ. They equip the body. We, without teachers, we would be so fundamentally lost in our doctrine. Then you have the evangelists, just to break this down. Um, wooers, they draw people in. They do it naturally. Prophets draw people in through relationships. Apostolic leaders draw people in through fathering. Evangelists draw people in through um, wooing. Shepherds draw people in through nurturing. So they all shepherd. They just shepherd differently. And each one of them can weaponize their gift. You know, like the hawk, Bruce Bannon, ah! right? <laughs> just, like the sh just like the prophet, they could all weaponize their gift. The evangelists, oh, they love your church when it's meeting their need. Yeah. You mess them over, everybody will know. <laughs> weaponizing their gift. The apostolic leader, you don't let them do it in the church. They will go in the world and do that very same thing and blow it up and become world famous because they couldn't do it in the church. Yeah. The shepherd, you know what their weapon is? They remove care from you. That's like, <laughs> they just remove all that love you was getting when they weaponize their gift. That's why it's so important to realize these functions and to teach on it within the body of Christ. So here's the principles for them to work together. Once you get everybody together, the number one principle is this. You have to be able to trust each other. Can I trust you? That's it. And I define trust it this way. When I look at my brother Bob here, I know without a shadow of my 
doubt that Bob has my best interest in mind. He's not using me to grow his church. I'm not just another position at his church. I'm not just another number. I know that this man will have my best interest in mind. So when Bob says, Dele, I need you to switch from there, and I need you to start doing this now. Yes, sir. Because I trust him, and he's my leader. Why would, why would a father send, why would I send my daughter off to a place that's going to be dangerous to her? But when there's no trust, and listen, trust, uh, trust is, is uh, mistrust is earned, right? Trust is given. So this leader, although his action says, I'm the senior pastor. Nah, I know you're the senior pastor, but I see you. I see how you operate. I see who gets the promotions. I see who gets where they need to go. It ain't me and it ain't them. I, I can't trust you. Can I be real? And so somebody goes in and says, well, you know, we feel God is calling us to this place. Oh, nah. It was a trust issue. And that takes a great deal of time to build that trust with one another. So can I trust you is the number one principle. The second principle um, through there is, um, get this here. The principle of mandates, 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 mandates. Just like Paul had a mandate, as our brother said just earlier here, um, you have to know your mandate. You have to know everyone on your team's mandate. My wife's mandate, my wife is a teacher. So I know she wants things aligned. Because at the heart of it, she knows if people receive the wrong truth, people will be, they will go astray. So I have to lay aside my insecurities when I'm presenting something as a prophetic person, right? And she's like trying to align it. She's not trying to hurt me. She's trying to align it. So if I don't know that that's her mandate, that our body doesn't get off-centered, each time I present a new revelation, each time I present something, I'm like, yes, that's her job. She's going to want to evaluate it. And if I don't know that, then you go into step three principle. She becomes a threat to me. She becomes a threat to me. For example, if you're, if you're an evangelist and you have that spirit in you and your whole staff has no idea that you're an evangelist, the, she, the teacher says, we need to do a Bible study. Yeah, at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah, that's where we, it's like, no, nah, no. I was thinking like 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy on a Wednesday night at the church and we're just going to bring everybody in. And we're going to do word studies. And, and the evangelist is like, why are we always doing this? We need to go out there to the community. We need to reach the people. You know, Bible studies and what you're doing to that, sh that teacher or that shepherd, you're just being a threat. You just crush. And they go back to work and they do secondhand smoking at home. They take that pressure, secondhand smoking, to their spouse. You know, every time I go to work, Bob just doesn't like my ideas. You know, I just don't understand him. Why? Every time I talk, it seems like he, yeah, because you don't know his mandate and you're stepping on it. So with these apostolic teams, you have to make room for each voice, but you have to know each voice. So we do extensive testing for our whole entire team to help them figure out what their voice is 
and then train them in maturing in how to use their voice in an honorable, respectful way with character and integrity. Because when you have a prophetic person who doesn't know they're prophetic and they see you going the wrong way as a church, they will blow that thing up. Watch this. Uh, you're a youth pastor in here. There's a 15 passenger van. You go a lot of road trips or Chi Alpha. You're driving a lot of people. And you ever have to back that van up, right? And when you can't see, what do you do? You send someone out to go help you look, right? And then that person out there that's looking, they're like, come on, you got this much room, you got this one. And you're inching up, you're inching up because you're scared. Like, come on. And then they floor it. And when they're about to hit something, what do you do? Boom, 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 boom. Stop, stop, stop. That's what happens to the prophetic voice when they don't, when they don't hear them. They see what's about to happen. They see the accident and so clear and dated. They just blow the thing up. They're not trying to. But they would rather put a dent in that van so you can hear them than you hit that other car. And then what happens to them? You know, you're just a troublemaker. You don't know how to use this gift. You know, you, the Lord put me in charge. and I, No, he didn't. He put an apostolic team because he knows for you to re reach the nations, the, your whole city. You can't do that by yourself. And that's why we get shepherds burnt out because they're truly, they're a shepherd. They're trying to be an evangelist, trying to be a teacher, trying to be apostle, trying to be all these things. And they feel terrible about themselves when God has given them a beautiful gift to shepherd. Or you have, a, you have an apostolic leader who doesn't know they're an apostolic leader. They built these massive things and don't know their primary job is fathering. And they turn everybody into slaves to worship them. To build whole empires off of them because they don't know as an apostolic leader you've been gifted with this gift to build. Not so that everybody, could, you could use them to build your ministry. No, so that you can create a place where all the shepherds and teachers can have a home. You see where I'm going with this? Form and function. If we're supposed to reach the nations, the, our Lord gave us a form and function that allows us to do it. And in every generation, in, every, uh, in, in, the, in the body of Christ, he raises up amazing leaders like this. And we never knew it. And so what happens is most church plants, most church splits, most job transfers, most fights, most arguments, most everything fundamentally breaks down in those first three things at a church. Eldership, board members, elders don't know the mandate of their senior pastor, their senior leader. Paul says, as a wise master builder, I did not build on someone else's foundation. So the principle in teaching these apex teams, when you have an elder who has a whole different, he's like, elder, you know what, you got a different mandate. And you need to be free to go do that mandate. How about we take a year, we gather some people around you, and we pray for you and you have enough courage and faith to go trust God for your mandate. And we're going to support you. We're going to help you. But what happens is because the language of mandates isn't understood, they try to force it into an existing church. That's why all this stress in elderships and board meetings happen. And the leader is it's very nervous to say, this is where we're going. This is the mandate of this church. Notice I didn't say vision. Jesus already has a vision for your church. Each senior leader has a mandate to build upon that vision. And when churches put vision as the main thing, it stops the explosive movemental growth. And in the second session, I'll teach why vision stops movemental growth. It, it, it's just, it's the most damaging thing. 
But when a leader knows I have a mandate, now we can get families aligned along that mandate. And, and uh, covenants is another thing I'll talk about as one of the APES principles. We, we, we believe in covenants. We do covenants with each other. So let me go to the fourth. That was a three. So those three, everyone breaks down. The fourth one is transparency. Practice transparency. Practice transparency. This states, don't make me guess what you're thinking, please. This might be the hardest one. Most women have suffered so much trauma from working on teams with all men. Or their very existence is traumatizing as a woman in a world that's dominated mostly by men. I'm saying this because my wife's a PhD researcher. I have research behind it. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not, I'm not just making this up. I have repented from my bias against women. I have done a journey of doing debiasing techniques to make sure that each time a woman calls me out, I repent. Because I know that that's, that's something I need help with. Not because I'm evil. I just, I'm not a woman. I just don't know. And so what I mean by practicing transparency, what this makes it hard, we've been in environments where we can't be transparent. So me telling, that's why I said don't take this to your community and try it. Because you being transparent will get you killed. Not like literally, but it's like, what, you don't understand the vision? You don't get, no, it's not, I love you, Pastor. I don't get the vision. I just, can we just talk? <laughs> And so when you have, <laughs> so when you, because you guys know it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you want to talk. We can talk, right? So when you have an environment where we can't practice transparency, you can't build trust. And when you can't build trust, you become a threat to one another. And we become a threat to one another. I can't fulfill my mandate. And when I can't fulfill my mandate, I have to go. Splits, splants. We're going here, we're going there. And the kingdom of God is these little, little, little fiefdoms all over the place. Each one without the full form and function they need for a movement. You, you, you see what I'm saying? And then, so transparency. And then there's, a, there's an important one that we teach with this one. It's how to be transparent with character, integrity, respect, wisdom, and honor to those in authority. You can't just go to your senior leadership anyhow. Case in point, I think it was uh, Samuel and David when he, um, Nathan, Nathan, when Nathan went to David, right? The prophetic leader said, oh, Nathan, great king. Can we have some coffee? Can we talk? Hey, can I tell you the story? There's this guy and he did this and he did that and he did that. And Nathan was like, I mean, David was like, we need to you know, kill that guy. Well... <laughs> about that that's you David right wisdom respect you just don't go to a king any kind of way so even in practicing transparency we have to dignify our leaders and give them the glory that God has bestowed upon them and we just can't go to them any kind of way we have to pray we have to ask God for wisdom how do I present this to my leader so that they can see my transparency and then from there I'm going to stop um I'll do five and six, but there's like 12 total ones. But all of them, without these, these teams can't work together. The fifth one is you will get offended. You will get offended when you're working a team of highly capable, dynamic, really anointed, really good people. You will get offended. Press into the offense. Move on quickly. You will get offended. 
press into it then move on quickly why will you get offended bible teaches that iron sharpens iron and so when i when i work with a teacher the god creates the balance where and trust me i have been offended a bunch of times <laughs> why y'all laughing <laughs> and um and in that part i have to press into it because that person's gift sharpens my gift and literally helps me and eventually what that happens is i get a little bit tougher and i can take feedback i can take critique they get a little bit we can take and we practice the 48 hour rule at our church after 48 hours you let it go we move too fast for you to stay offended for two months over something. Two years. I know some people, two years, they're still holding on to that one offense. I was, I was the worship leader, and then they got that other guy. Now I'm not the worship leader anymore. The reason why they got the other guy is because the other person might have just been graced differently. Now, how they handled it might have needed to be better. But when you're trying to reach a whole nation, our task is disciple nations. I don't, on a battlefield, we don't have time for offense. We're pressing into the kingdom of darkness here. And so we have a whole process of where we help people learn how to confront one another, help people learn how to care front one another. We teach people how to apologize to one another. It's the hardest thing ever. No, I kid you not. I had to apologize to someone. It, it literally... Like I was shaking up for a, a, a whole day because I was so mortified by the sin that I brought in this person's life. I didn't do anything bad. I just hurt them by my words. And so I realized, you know what? I repented. I've said I was sorry. It was not anything bad. It's just, it's just you know, I lost a little trust there. But then 48 hours, I got to go. And when I see that person two days, I don't want them, oh, you know, pastor this. We got to move on, man. 48 hours. And then um, I'll stop with the sixth one. And then we'll just go, go with some questions. Is that you'll have to make room. You'll have to make room. You'll have to make room. That comes from Numbers 10, 29 through 30. Numbers 10, 29 through 30. This principle states that you will have to sacrifice something tertiary. It's not first, not second, it's like third. It's not, it's not that important. You're going to have to sacrifice something to make room for another gifted person. Another way to look at it, Jesus says when a man, is, we call it the extravagant exchange. Jesus says when a, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in the field. And when he found it with what? What did he have? Emotion. With joy. Yeah. What's that? No, no, no. With joy, he sold everything he had to go by that field. So when God brings a gifted leader on the team, you're like, oh, yeah, we got to stop doing this thing because this leader is going to bring a whole new, fresh way of doing it. And this thing that we stopped is so minuscule. It's tertiary. But we need to do this to make room. I can't do this and this. And so you'll have to make room for one another to advance and press in. And that's what that passage in, in Numbers did there. Um, when, when those two men came together, um, one of them said, I can't go with you. And the other one made room. Read it. It's beautiful. So I share this with you all. And then we're going to go for Q&A. Is because I was this close to leaving the church and never coming back again. Because I never felt like I fit in. And I, I felt like who I was just didn't have a place here. 
and I realized I was operating off of different rules inherently and I didn't even know it. And I feel that it's not me. I feel like God wants us in this 21st century to change. Let, let, me, let me not say change. To reimagine the form and function that has always been there for us. And have the courage to then build our systems based on that. So with that, let's take some Q&A. And I'm going to invite Onia to do some Q&A with me. And Cadence, if there's a question you want to jump in, do your thing. All right. So let's do some Q&A. What testing do you use? Uh, it's, it's a test called, uh, it's a website called The Forgotten Ways. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Forgotten Ways by Alan Hirsch. Yep. And it's a wonderful website. Yeah. And, and then we walk everyone through. And then I guess there's another website that we use did you have the link for the psychiatric evaluation the name okay um we we do a psychiatric evaluation on people too so there's a test that we do for people who are needy neediness um eccentric so we te we test people's mental acumen to see where they're at before we put them on this kind of team we have a licensed counselor yeah she is correct Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the Be Forgotten Ways. And then we do the Enneagram with folks. Um, that's three. Um, and then we do some trauma and healing with folks. So those are the four things. And, and on that note real quick, so typically on a team, there is um, counseling, professional counseling, one end of the triangle. There's uh, discipleship, the other end of the triangle. And then there is deliverance. And, and spiritual healing. Most of the time, we try to counsel and disciple what somebody needs deliverance from. And so most of the time, that, that thing that you keep seeing on that staff member, that it just won't go away, something probably happened to them. Something very tra traumatizing. So, okay, another question. Yes? Can you name those four things again? Which one? The, what you just said, the four points are... Oh, like the... Ways the... The oh yeah, the Enneagram. The Forgotten Ways. I think it's .org, but it's Alan Hirsch. There's an APES testing there. It's like eight dollars and it's fifteen minutes. Very good. A Harvard neuroscientist created it and it's spot on. And then we do a a mental assessment, and it's like a twenty minute document that they fill, and then you give it to a licensed like counselor, and they walk through the person. And they's like, wow, you have high manipulation tendencies. What happened? And they walk them through that because you bringing that on that team is going to be real hard. And then I said, Anne uh, Anneagram, mental, um, think safe people and healing. That's another combination. Safe people and family patterns. It's a book. Uh, it's a Christian book. It has the title Unlocking or Unbreaking Family Patterns and Safe People. And that part is really important. Because as a leader, for somebody who has trauma, you're going to do things that makes them feel unsafe, even though you are not unsafe. Yeah. Their trauma is kicking in. And so helping them realize that you are a safe person, even though they may feel unsafe, is so helpful. In a, in a tense, when you're trying to correct something, when you're trying to bring some kind of healing to something, you know, um, and many of you probably have experienced it. You're trying to just work with somebody with something they see and they can't receive it. Yeah. It's trauma. Okay, another question. Yes. Um, you 
you were talking about how sort of mutual submission for everyone. Yes. Eventually, you usually in models, even when you don't want to, end up with a leader. Yes. For your experience, what have you seen the gift that ends up being the leader the most often, or does it rotate? How does that function as far as you have a whole team mm -hmm. making decisions? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very, very good question. How do you discern, we call it the directional leader, or who, you know, how do you discern what that is? Ideally, it's, the, it's typically the person who God gives a vision to. So it doesn't matter if it's a shepherd. God gives visions to shepherds. doesn't matter if it's a teacher. God gives a vision to a, to a teacher as well. And so Miss um, um, Joyce Myers, teacher. Are we together? One of the best teachers out there. And you have different people. So, you know, from what I've seen, it's the person who God gives that mandate to. And that gift rallies everything else around them and if they yield to everybody then they can build that team around them and the reason why that person is there is because like um there's this god the the seed this the 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 forest is in the seed right so td jake says god doesn't make furniture he makes trees so everything god creates he puts it in a seed first but you got to plant it so the person with the vision they're carrying the future of the whole movement in them so God doesn't give step-by-step -step direction. He gives you a roadmap. Mm -hmm. And so that's what makes that person like leading the thing because sometimes they just get before God and the roadmap is, is unveiled for where that thing is going. And that, you look at Paul's life. That's what Paul did. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. Well, he, didn't, he had the seed for the forest. All right, next question. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the person with the mandate, and, it, and Billy said it could be any gift, mm -hmm. needs the overall Yes. But in day-to-day decision-making, so that good. person is not always the person who should be the final authority. Basically, when you're doing something, you need to decide what is the purpose of the thing that we're doing. So good. So if we're doing this thing, and the purpose of it is evangelistic, sure, and the sure. person with the mandate is a shepherd, mm. they should not be the decision-maker. Preach. Yeah. We all need to be able to submit and say, the purpose of this is evangelistic, so we are all going to submit to our evangelists because they're going to know better than so good so good and that's right and it's like you're shifting the seat on the bus you're like okay here's the keys you drive but the reason I can let you drive because I trust you yeah, yeah. I'm transparent and I can tell you oh that scares me we're gonna bring beer into the place you know and I can be honest with you and that and we're not bringing we're not bringing yeah 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 are we recording this pastor Wooten? we are not bringing any <laughs> we're not bringing any any bit not anymore <laughs> no 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 you guys are gonna get us in trouble <laughs> all right next question next. You, you mentioned that um if they haven't moved up mm -hmm. Uh, usually six months if somebody in our environment doesn't rise up in leadership within about six six months maybe nine usually there's something happening in their life okay, so what is the move up yeah. so yeah so move up is like if i take what's your name elizabeth. if i take elizabeth and she comes into our ministry our mission our mission is to help you fulfill yours so when elizabeth comes in the whole form follows function our whole church is designed to quickly start helping Elizabeth discern what God is calling her to do in her life. Because for me to reach my zip code, forget nations, 
I we would love to see Elizabeth on mission. To send her out movement and so immediately the process begins in working with her and discerning where God is in our life and each six months she's moving up and moving up could be like um, she wasn't in a community now she's a con she's in a community right she's fellowshipping with people oh you know she's fellowshipping with people now she's going through safe people she's learning now she's dealing with like there's always progress and that's what I mean by by moving up and the ultimate move up for us is like you begin to learn about leadership and the number one principle of leadership is can you lead your own self well? So hopefully that answers. Another question, we still got a couple more minutes. You, know, you mentioned about the person has a mandate mm -hmm. and then you're doing an event or mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. and the uh, fivefold mm -hmm. person like evangelist. Mm -hmm. But everybody on the team should recognize at that point that person has mm -hmm. the keys. Mm -hmm. right? So there's not a, there's there not. shouldn't be. No, no. I want you to just turn their head automatically. No, ma'am. And there should be room for someone to tell the evangelist, I hate this idea, not that way, but I don't like <laughs> There should be honor, integrity. There should be room for somebody to say, I'm really wrestling with this. I don't, I don't feel good. I don't like it, but I trust you. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. Where do you want me? What, what station you want me to work on? And typically... With their gift, they see a hole that the evangelist doesn't see. Yep. So if they roll their sleeves up and get involved, they're naturally going to fill that hole and the thing's going to work. Yeah. But then if the thing blows up and it's terrible, next staff meeting, we owe that person. You know what? You were right. <laughs> <laughs> and next time you talk, I need to listen to you a whole lot more. How many times has that happened and you didn't get that? Yeah. It breaks transparency. It breaks trust. I'm going to close in prayer because it's 11, but I, I want to stay for like, oh, we do? Oh, we do? Okay, cool. <laughs> Thanks. All right, qu any more questions? Yes, sir. So on that uh, topic of transparency, um, from a leadership perspective, how would you uh, expect people to be transparent with you? Sure. Like on any level of disagreement sure. or just hey, ask something you don't see specifically um, in, in any realm? How, how would you specifically say, hey, this is how I want to be a person? Sure. We use the word wrestling. We welcome wrestling in our environment. So wrestling is kind of like, a, you know, I say one thing, Caden says something back. We say we're wrestling in a staff meeting. There comes a point where we've wrestled maybe three to five back and forth. And at that point, one of us just say, hey, let's connect offline about this. Because now there's like there's something else deeper there between the both of us. But we don't want to create yes people. And so you need to give that room for that wrestling. And I think tone matters. Mm -hmm. Tone matters so much in how someone says something. Um, we had a situation where someone says something, everything they said was right, but their tone was just not appropriate. So I would say the tone, body language, um, not interrupting people to get it in there, um, and hopefully that's helping um, just so give way for some wrestling um, but there are some leaders who are like no you cannot disagree with me another question I was just going to ask that the, that's why it's important that on a frequent basis we're able to insert our opinions and have, have an environment where you don't want people just saying yes to whatever you say because when you create an environment where people don't feel free to dissent it just builds up and by the time they finally open their mouths, 
there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of bitterness. And you can't possibly approach somebody with a good tone when that trust and that transparency hasn't been happening all along. So by it, it creates a new sort of way of relating that it's not always easy. I mean, we, we still are working towards it, but the idea is we always want to keep those doors of communication open so nothing gets built up in any person on our staff. Mm -hmm. We'll go with, we, we, we got two, we'll go here, then we'll come back right here. Okay, um, I get how you do it with teenagers. Yeah. Teenagers are pretty similar to adults. Yeah. How do you do it with kids? How do you get them involved in all of this? That's a good question. We have not actually, because we're a new church plant, sure. we haven't really stepped into that arena yet. Cadence, you might have some feedback in what you've learned and observed. If you do, go for it. Transparency. We'll get her and then we'll come right back to you. Yes, ma'am. So you're just eight weeks into actual, did you say? Yes, ma'am. So how did you get your team? That's a great question. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's a very, very, that's a very, very good, it's a very, very good question. So I am a, um, I am a uh, um, P, prophet, prophetic, apostolic. Mm -hmm. So most people see my prophetic, they, you always see the person's second highest gift, and you think that's their highest gift. So I am apostolic, prophetic, but everybody sees me as apostolic. My building gift is to build what I'm hearing God has for his church. And so because of those two gifts, and my wife's gift is a teacher, so we come together and then we're still discerning cadence and her gift, but once we've come together with our gifts, we leaned 100% into both of our gifts. And we knew that our gifts attract. And so I knew I just have to keep doing what God has called me to do, and I will attract the people who God wants us to be around. And so I'm not sure. Maybe there's some more pointed ways you can <coughs> some more. I mean, <laughs> sorry. So one of the things that we we've kind of joked about, but not joking, is like there are so many talented women out there yeah. who have just not had positions in ministry before. So honestly, it has not been hard to find people who are just like you're insanely gifted by God, and you have these skills, and you know we are intentionally a place where we don't allow issues of people's demography or identity to prevent them from being uh, fully in leadership. And so making sure that we have that open door where people don't feel like they have to... Um, Prove them to like, fight. Where they don't have to fight. Yeah, that's exactly... Somebody told us that this week, literally. They feel like, here, I don't have to fight for people to respect. Um, and so creating this sort of environment, again, 
hard. We don't have it perfect yet. But it, it attracts people who have felt before like they had to fit themselves into a little box and they, they don't want to and anymore. Honestly, our issue is having enough money to pay all the people we'd like to pay. Uh, yeah. Because we have, we, you know, we have more talent than we know what to do with at this point. And, 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 so, and I think for a point of clarification, she's right that the people that we have, like when we do have a conversation with someone like a Mr. Eric Chang or Miss Ashley Edelin, these people is like, yeah, we'll, we'll work with you, but we couldn't do it without them. But when they come, I literally, I get out the way so I can lift them up and they just run it. Like they do 20 to 25 hours a week unpaid with a full-time job. We have like several people like that. And, you know, so I think to your point and to Ania's point, we just get out of the way because it's like I started to talk about new systems for the move of God. So thank you. I think that man had a question and then we'll come here. I'd like you to touch on that. People see your second highest gift just for another minute. Yeah. Yeah. So so um, so Alan, he, he uh, helped me understand this, that when you have when you take the APES gift, your core that core gift that's how you operate out of um so i have a, one of our friends he's a he's a evangelist uh, he's a shepherd i think shepherd evangelist right so people are always seeing him reaching new people and reaching new people but the reason he's reaching them is that so he can what shepherd them so somehow some way we've just noticed that to be a phenomenon that anytime we think someone's this i'm like so What's your, what, what, what's your core is what I ask. And then I'm like, oh, that's what drives that. And that's sometimes people have misunderstood people, but not knowing their core. So I don't have like scripture or anything like that. It's just, this, just something we've observed that people always see your second highest gift. And then a point of clarification with that, fundamentally, we are all sons and daughters, not get, you know, not think fundamentally. And then fundamentally, the spirit of Jesus, our Lord, the great high priest, he was a shepherd, prophet, evangelist, teacher. He was all that. So if the head of the church embodies all those gifts, how could the body not have all those gifts? And so the main goal is not to run around saying, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a that. The main gift is through discipleship and spiritual formation to be like my Lord, a healthy shepherd, prophet, evangelist, teacher, although you lean towards one or the other. She, we had her real quick. Yes, I need to know if you have a Facebook page and a website because I want to keep up with you. Yeah, we would love that. So it's 21stcenturychurch.com, 21st, and then just like 21stcenturychurch.com. And then um, the, uh, the, all, all our social is 21st cent, 21st cent church. Every social, YouTube, everything, 21st cent church. And then we're going to. Uh, 21st, 2 1, the number 2, the number 1, ST, and then Scent Church, all the social media handles. And then we're actually working to do a cohort after this in about maybe about a month from now, where we're going to actually take a whole bunch of leaders in our district. Pastor Al Yano has um, graciously granted us permission to work within the district. And so we'll be like introducing people to s some more details of these things that we're talking about. I think you, ha oh, this gentleman so here. I just got a comment. Um, everything you've talked about is the way I've been feeling. Mm. And I've been studying to be an evangelist. And, wow. And, uh, um, I, this is my first.
first steps to becoming credentialed. Wow. Um, but I'm in a church that's not fully developed. Wow. It's almost died. Mm. Um, and I don't feel like anything's working, and I'm afraid to say anything. Mm. How do you incorporate something like this to get it started? Mm. Sure. That's a very good question. First of all, I just want to acknowledge I feel the weight of what you're going through. Just in you proposing that question, I, I feel that. And, and Father, we pray for Brian right now, Lord. Father, this man knows what he's carrying. This man knows the gift that you've placed inside of him. And so in the name of Jesus, in this room, we affirm that gift. We affirm that calling. And we pray that you would give this man wisdom and direction in these next steps. In Jesus' name, amen. My thought would be, you start with honor. Find who, who's a senior pastor of the church. Start with that person. Ask them for coffee or lunch. Share with them all the great things that they're already doing. Ask them to learn about the story of the church, right? Because you're coming in. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know how many wounds they have. Yeah. And they don't know if they can trust you. Yeah. And so you're, I would think your first priority is to grab coffee. I want to hear the story. And as you're hearing their story, you'll know how to temper yourself because you, they'll be sharing what they're going through. Then you ask them, what vision do you have for the church? Where do you see the church going? And as they share that, you can then present your gift to the body. You can then, based on what I hear, where you want to go, pastor, my heart's desire is to help you do that. I have this gift of evangelism. Yeah. Where do you want to send me? Give me my lane. Make room for me. So you started the whole conversation with, what's your story, Pastor? Where do you want to go, Pastor? And then you said, I have this gift of evangelism to give to your work. Will you please pray, Pastor, and let me know which lane you want? And can we meet back in two or three months? And if he can't or she can't give you a lane, then you now, I think you now know what your next step is to do if they can't with that with that kind of transparent conversation whereas many people will stay in there and try to insert their lane and and you just cause disruption and you become a rock and i've been to two or three churches because i feel like i'm doing this. and you become a rock in their shoe yes. and so you you have to go directly to that senior pastor one what's your story empathize be where they are where do you see this church going and as they're talking you can see and you can say i have this gift how could I earn your trust? What's, give me one little thing to prove my... I just want to help you guys do this with this gift. And then if, the, if you can't find a place, call Pastor... Um, we have a whole team at the network. We will find you a community to go to where that gift can be used. And, and let me tell you this. Anyone who's like this, that, that story about the treasure in the field, that's often the cost to be a, become an, an apostolic team. You will give up something. You either have to move, you have to transition, you have to leave a place. It's often it. Another question, and then we'll end. Anyone, someone who didn't ask a question. Yeah, go ahead, Brad. Um, uh, three things, maybe. Yes. Just, uh, hit on one. One would be what you're talking about with uh, form and function. Yes. If I understand right, um, in my experience, the um, corporate makeup of the nonprofits, the mm -hmm. corporation of the church as we experience in America calls for a type of governance model that could be reflective of board CEO. What you're proposing, though, really revolves more of an eldership function. Um, 
quick question would be how do you blend the two together or a separate question whichever you prefer would be um, when it comes to gifting and when it comes to um, functioning in a gift uh, Paul told Timothy to do the work of evangelist he instructed him to teach people in my understanding we would say he is a teacher functioning as an evangelist for a moment that's so good um, is there how do you discern the difference between when I need to function as something versus when I am gifted this way that is so good. Let's um, let's do the the first question. I the hybrid. We do. I do believe in an eldership model because that person's carrying that mandate, and I believe the first job for that person carrying that mandate as they're doing that work is to raise people up who they can embody that DNA. We call it fractaling. Fractal. If you Google fractal, we embody that DNA in that person and then give them power for them to be an elder. And they share power. They make decisions together. And they and there you have a rule called like the first among equals. And that person, although you share power, you become the first among equals because you carry the DNA. You carry where it's going. You're not better. They're just realizing that if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. It's just that simple. But they have equal power. And it takes training to raise somebody to give them equal power where y'all hire together. Y'all fire together. Y'all, you know, you, you do everything together. So that's how, that's kind of what I see in the New Testament model. Paul was that. He planted all those churches. He was the apostolic leader who then put elders in Thessalonica. He put elders in Corinthians. He put shepherds. He did all that. He actually had the model. And he parented through his letters from a distance. And then the other question, um, uh, I think you said, how do you combine the two a little bit? Um, I, I don't know. I just I think I see eldership in there, but it's hard to find people you can trust that much to give them full power. And then you said the other question, the function. How do you differentiate when you're functioning in, in, a, in a role and when you're not? Onia, do you have an example of that? Yeah, I would say, you know, one of the things is you know that you are this function if you do it everywhere. Um, so Dele is an apostle. And before he could like really exercise this gift in the body of Christ, he started building furniture. Like he had to build something. He has to build. And so if you see it everywhere in your life, then that is more than likely the function that you are. If you are seeing a need and you're filling it, then that is a function that you're filling. But as was said, because Christ is all, you know, of the fivefold. We want to strive to be able to at least operate in all of the fivefold, even if that's not where we naturally go. That's not this. And that's why we call it mature. Maturing and the mature church is you maturing in your shepherding, maturing in your evangelistic gift, maturing so you can be like our Lord. And so with that, we're going to close. And I'll stay after for a minute or two. Let me pray a blessing over everyone in here. Father, Father we are thankful for our Ohio Ministry Network and the, 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 what we're doing here. And Father, I bless everyone in here. Keep us, protect us from sin, protect us from evil. And Father, may the ministries that are represented in this place explode. Um, I feel like there's somebody here who God has given you a vision for something. And you're asking, should, you're, you're, you're nervous. God is saying, go. He's saying, step out. There's people on the other side of what you're carrying. So uh, whoever that's for, just receive it. So bless you all. Thank you.